With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. It's Fit Nation. It's, 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 it's Fit Nation. Awesome. Well, so you think you've got some county line cred because you rode a dirt road or two. Got a multi oak hat on top of your head and a southern pride tattoo. Yeah, you might have drank a little brain alcohol or hauled a little hay. But if you think your boots got more dirt than mine, I got one thing to say. My town's smaller than your town, and I got a bigger bugging mass on my wall. I got a little more kick in my draw, y'all. And my truck's louder than your truck And my collar's a little more blue You might think that you're redneck But I'm rednecker than you Yes, I am I got a car parked in my front yard With a floorboard full of Slim Jims I piss where I want to And I fish where Tailgate or killed a copper head a time or two. And man, if you're thinking you're a better beer drinker, buddy, I've got news for you. My town's smaller than your town, and I got a bigger bugging bass on my wall. I got a little more kick in my draw, y'all. I got a little more spit in my jaw. And my truck's louder than your truck.
All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to the Misfit Nation. If you are a veteran and you are struggling for or feel like you're leading a path towards the darkness, stop and think about those who are around you. Think about how they truly value you, how they will miss you. You are not alone. You need to talk to someone. Someone will listen to you. If you feel like you'd be a burden to someone that's in your inner circle or your family or embarrassed by what the problems you're having, call the one Call the anonymous hotline at 1-800-273-8255 and press option one. Don't make a permanent solution to a temporary problem. If you're a new listener, thanks for joining us. Please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast apps. This includes the Military Broadcast Radio app and check out our family of shows there, also hosted by other veterans. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel at the underscore Misfit Nation. This will keep you up to date on our latest shows, episodes, and of course, bring you the stories of our guests. Speaking of which, our next guest is a speaker, former NFL coach and podcast host, host who uses sports, sports world as his backdrop to engage audiences with thought-provoking lessons on leadership, team building, and creating a championship culture. He is not your typical football coach. Despite not playing football beyond high school and no network in the coaching profession, his unlikely football journey began as a fourth grade coach where he quickly worked his way to the NFL in just six years and included coaching for teams such as the Miami Dolphins, UCLA, and SMU. After spending 15 years working with the highest performing athletes, coaches, and teams on the planet, he now uses this unique football coaching background to teach people how to utilize the same strategies in business and life that elite players and teams use to perform at world-class levels. He also hosts his own weekly sports leadership podcast, The Highest Level, where he reveals how championship team cultures are built and the keys to leadership excellence at the highest level. So without further ado, let's welcome Evan Burke to the Misfit Nation. Welcome, Evan. Rich, thank you so much for having me on the show tonight and uh, really excited to chat with you today. Awesome. That's a, that's a big leap to go from fourth, gr- uh, fourth grade uh, football coach to uh, the NFL. I mean, that's a, that's a leap by anyone's ma- imagination right there. And also not playing past high school, like you said in, the, in your bio there. I mean, I'm sure you still had the itch to be with the game because you liked the game. You played in high school. You you're probably around it your whole life. But what, what, how did that focus happen to get the from fourth grade to NFL and to actually become a coach in the first place? Yeah, and, and you know, like you said, it, a lot of big leaps. Uh, but but as we're all very aware, a lot of uh, focus on our daily task and, and the small wins that that amount to those large leaps. Uh, yeah. So like you said, I did not play in college. Uh, I went to the University of Colorado and uh, was simply a student my freshman year there. And uh, after a year, I just kind of felt like I was missing something. Uh, Like a lot of high school athletes, uh, you know, you're around competition, you're, you're on a team, you're always kind of striving towards peak performance or personal greatness. And uh, I miss some of that, Uh, you know, not having a a team anymore, so to speak, Uh, going to college and not really knowing what to do with that. I, I kind of had this idea that I wanted to still be involved in sports. And so that started as a youth sports coach. And, and so I was coaching at a local YMCA there in Boulder, Colorado, um, just youth, you know, basketball, uh, soccer, baseball. And then um, that eventually led me to coaching fourth grade football. And uh, such was the kind of the humble beginnings of, of my path uh, uh, to the NFL. That's outstanding. And giving back to your community by coaching the youth. I mean, as a young man at that time, I'm sure you, you know, it was, it was probably a lot of fun coaching the young, uh, young kids in sports. I know I've had fun coaching the youth uh, 
I coached my daughter's first grade soccer team. That was like, I called it B-ball because all they did was run at the ball. No one really did any <laughs> techniques, but they had fun. That's all. That was, a, it was about at that level. And then as she got older, I learned a lot more about the game than I ever thought I would not having played soccer in my whole life. So she taught me soccer and vicariously through her, I learned it. And, and you learned coaching just by giving back to the community. That's outstanding. Yeah. And you kind of had asked, I guess, in the first part of your question, you know, how do you become a coach? And, and honestly, I didn't know, I, I didn't know what that looked like or what, what that would entail. I didn't have a family member or a dad that's in coaching uh, or, or was an executive for an NFL team. And I didn't have a network uh, because I wasn't a player past high school. And so I just did kind of the, the logical thing in my mind, which was I just had to start somewhere. Uh, and so as you kind of mentioned, too, I mean, you know, maybe not learning a whole lot of football, coaching fourth grade football, but you're still kind of there in the true element, the true enjoyment of the game. So uh, I'm very I feel very fortunate to have those experiences that kind of built the foundation for uh, coaching at high school. And then once I graduated college, uh, actually got to work in college and professional football. I mean, you had two uh, pretty uh, world-renowned schools there, UCLA and SMU. Uh, been to both campuses. Both are amazing. And uh, I believe that those both those schools were good uh, launching points for you to hit the NFL from either one of them. You could have probably jumped from either one into the NFL. What the, Did you do a position coaching or were you uh, some other kind of coach as well? Yeah, so uh, if if the audience is not familiar with just the higher level of athletics, um, when we're talking college and pro, obviously these are entire teams that are built out. And a lot of times if you're a young coach, and, and uh, when I left college and started working at SMU, I was 22, 23 years old. So, you know, didn't know a whole lot of anything. And they weren't going to charge me with, you know, putting together the offensive game plan. So they kind of, uh, you know, they had me doing class checks, uh, it's monitoring study hall, passing out Chick-fil-A's as guys got on the bus. Uh, and, you know, I thought it was the coolest job in the entire world just to be around and honestly learning. Like, you know, I wasn't just there kind of focused on my position in terms of, man, I wish I was doing more. I, I was very grateful for that opportunity to be in the room, learning from some very good coaches uh, and really just getting indoctrinated into what it takes to be a coach. And so really that first year was me understanding, okay, we get here at 6 a.m. every morning. We stay here till, you know, 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night, whatever it takes uh, and then we move on to the next day. And, you know, as a young, obviously coming from college, it was a little bit different than what I was used to, but it was a great learning ground for me, not only to understand the game of football better, but also just understood, uh, understand what it took to be successful as a coach. So uh, you're hundred percent, right? Like when you are, you know, at places like SMU and UCLA, you're working with a lot of not only good coaches, but also some good players and, and a lot of players that are even to this day, even though I was at SMU over a decade ago, guys that are still playing in the NFL, Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders, Kelvin Beecham, Chris Banjo. I mean, there's a whole host of players that are still playing on NFL teams that that I was coaching over a decade ago. So really cool to, to be have those experiences and be at those great institutions uh, and, and like I was mentioning, like getting the chance to learn from really great people as well. And surrounded by, when you're surrounded by greatness, you have no choice but to melt some of that into yourself and then be able to spread that outside of that circle. Like when you left coaching, 
Now you, well, left uh, sports coaching. Now you're doing executive coaching and speaking. You're able to use those same life experiences. How does that transition to, for you now as you get up on stage to 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 pump up an executive room, a room of executives or at a corporate headquarters? How's that transition for you? Yeah, I think early on, uh, much like I was just describing with my football career, you know, I had to kind of learn what were the stories that really resonated with audiences, what type of uh, lessons that I want to impart on them. And that's one of the things I really enjoy is kind of working with teams and kind of figuring out, okay, like, what are their issues? Where have I seen this before? And I think what I saw was as I started to, to grow as an executive coach and as a speaker is that all of the problems that we faced at SMU and UCLA and the Miami Dolphins are all problems that basically every team faces, uh, whether they're in a startup environment or whether it's a nonprofit or whether it's a, a big Fortune 500 company. Everybody's really dealing with the same problems. Now, there might be different dollar signs attached to some <laughs> of these problems, uh, but, uh, you know, I really enjoy just kind of like sharing those stories. Um, and, you know, uh, I'm very honest about kind of like what I do and what I don't do. Um, I, you know, I don't know the strategy of a telecommunications company and how they can kind of like increase by 10% in the Northwest region. Uh, that's obviously not my forte, uh, but, but something that I do spend a lot of time talking about with my clients is how do you turn around a losing culture? Uh, how do you get everybody in the room to start buying in to the vision of what you think your company can be? How do you get people that are already operating at a very high level to strive and desire to aim even higher? Um, and, and, and as you were kind of alluding to a moment ago, put in that time and effort that it takes to be successful at those very high levels. And obviously something that I was very passionate, one of the main reasons I got into coaching uh, and then also one of the things I'm still passionate about today. And so a lot of people, uh, when I run into them, will say, are you still coaching? And I say, yes, I, I am still coaching, just not on the sidelines anymore. All right. Hey, trading in cleats for or sneakers for maybe some nice loafers or something. Like <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. yes. <laughs> Definitely a different wardrobe. <laughs> yeah. And, and you get to, you know, probably go home at a decent hour sometimes. So that, that helps out a lot. Oh, that too. is, yes, that is, <laughs> Yes. Uh, without question. No, we're sleeping at the office. <laughs> we're sleeping standing up. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, and when you're on the field with the, those high, high performing athletes, and then you moved over to the corporate world, is there any common traits amongst the high performers on the sports field and those who are performing outstandingly in corporate America? Is there any common traits that they show you when you, when you talk to them? Yeah, great question. Uh, you know, I think that there most definitely is a parallel. And I think, you know, when we're talking about a peak performer, it, it doesn't have to be on the field. It doesn't have to be an Olympian. You know, these are universal traits. Uh, to be successful at anything or to gain the type of experience needed to succeed at a very high level, you have to put in the time. And not only put in the time and the hard work, but there's also a factor of continuing to grow and continuing to improve. Uh, and this is something that you see across sports and across boundaries into the corporate environment is the people that are doing it very well are continuing to improve and, and continually looking, continually looking 
at themselves and within themselves to think about where they can improve, regardless of whether they're having a lot of success or regardless of whether they're in failure. Um, and I think also just kind of like the resiliency to continue to persevere. Um, and, you know, I look at, I, I think that one of the big commonalities just between the business environment and sports and, and really life to a great extent is that you're all dealing and everybody is dealing with random events and setbacks, right? Like in football, we sit there at the beginning of the week and we say, okay, you know, I think that when we go three wide um, and put two running backs in the backfield, that they're going to play this coverage to us. And like, these are the three blitzes that we're going to expect to see the most. And when we go four wide receivers, this is how they're going to adjust to that. This is what we think they're going to do. Here is the game plan. Uh, but so often you get into that game and they're doing maybe half, if that, of what you anticipated them doing. So then the contingency planning comes in and the adaptability and just the, the uh, resilience you need to have to say, okay, well, they're not doing what we practiced all week. That's fine. Like we're going to do us still um, and, and we're going to keep coming at them. And so you see a lot of those parallels in just dealing with the random events of sports, just like we do in life and in business, uh, and, and continually bouncing back from setbacks. Having that resilient mindset helps out a lot. Then. And as a high performer, you have to be resilient because you're going to get knocked down, especially in football. You're going to get knocked down. You're going to get hit by someone that's bigger than you, that's faster than you. When you think you're the top dog and all of a sudden, someone hits you and you're on the ground. Oh, he might be the top dog now. What do I do to get better? So you got to keep putting in that work. You keep the, you mentioned the putting in the work and over and over again, that's something that a lot of people need to hear. You got to put in that work. You have to do, put the effort forth in order to get the, the goal. You reach the goal you want to achieve. Your goal is not going to run behind you and say, here I am, here I am. You got to chase it. You got to work for it. And I think that's very basically what you've seen firsthand with these, uh, young men on the football field than, of course, those young leaders in corporate America now. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and I think that, you know, in, in anything that we do, um, regardless of outside of business, like that's that's kind of what it takes to be successful in life. And, um, you know, that's, uh, as I was saying a moment ago, uh, that, that's one of the things I really enjoy is kind of teaching through those stories and, and just kind of uh, equating what I had gone through and the things that I had seen from the great leaders and great teams I was on to the, the same thing that relates to the audience. Right. I mean, you were around great leaders and you decided to, what made you decide to leave the field and then pivot into this new life of yours? Yeah. So I always, I went to the University of Colorado, as I mentioned earlier, and I always had this vision or this North Star that I was going towards that I wanted to return to be the head coach at the University of Colorado. That was literally my North Star. That is everything I thought about. And um, when you have a strong North Star in your life or, or in your professional career, it's very, it doesn't make things easy, but it makes things very simple. Because every decision kind of comes down to, okay, is this getting me closer to this ultimate goal, this ultimate vision? And um, throughout my entire career for 12 years, every time I faced any bit of adversity, just like anybody would in any career, uh, I would always kind of fall back on that and, and just say, okay, you know what, like this is, this is paving a path for me, this is going to be a chapter in my book. Um, and I had a moment my last year in coaching when I was at UCLA, we're probably two or three weeks from the end of the season. 
Um, Rich, I was a meticulous note taker. So I took notes in every meeting I ever was in because you never know when a coach is going to say something or something's going to happen that you take a note on that I'm going to be able to use when I'm eventually the head coach at the University right. of Colorado. <laughs> so I was always front and center, pen out, ready to take notes in those <laughs> meetings. And we had a meeting, um, you know, early one morning, eight o'clock in the morning, the whole team is filing into the meeting room. And I, for the first time in my career, had this like pull of like, I didn't want to go into that meeting room. And I kind of sat outside during that meeting and I was like, oh, this is kind of weird. I've never felt like this before. And like, as I was sitting there for that 45 minutes, hour long meeting while, you know, the whole team's in there doing the special teams meeting, whatever, it just kind of started to get stronger and stronger. And I was like, wow, I, I, I don't, it's not that I just don't want to go to that meeting. I don't even want to go back to the office. Uh, and like, I had never had that specific feeling before. Now, of course I went back to the office. I, I didn't like sit out the rest of the day. You know, I went to the quarterback meeting room and like, I didn't just go home. Uh, but that was the first time that I kind of had a pull in another direction and without getting too much deeper into it. Cause I could tell a 20 minute story right now, but <laughs> basically I'm, I'm working at UCLA, one of the top institutions in the world. Uh, in terms of college athletics, I'm living in Santa Monica, one of the nicest places to live, um, definitely in the United States. And uh, I wasn't happy and I wasn't fulfilled. And I think like as that, that feeling grew from that, from that one day, that meeting I didn't want to go into, I think it was just like this realization of, you know, at what point do I become happy? I I'm looking around at all these older coaches than me and they're you know, early to mid to late fifties and they're all divorced and they all have weird relationships with their kids. And, you know, they've been on this path for 30 plus years where they've moved every two to three years and their, their families have had to move as a consequence uh, of that. And yeah, some of these guys make a ton of money. So a lot of these guys, I would say names and football fans would know who they are, but like at what cost? And so um, I'm not saying that's for all coaches in, in like, like stereotyping them, but that is a very common trait is this constant movement, uh, this, you know, almost kind of like foregoing everything else in your life to pursue this professional goal. And I just didn't feel like I wanted to do it anymore. So I'm giving you kind of a long-winded answer, and there's probably a couple more layers to it than that. But uh, I think ultimately, and I encourage this, I end up talking to a lot of people that are in transition, whether it's people transitioning from college to the pros or people that are transitioning out of their um, you know, pro or college careers and, and like entering into real life, and, uh, or, or a lot of people that are kind of reclaiming another career and I, and I tell them to like, really, my advice would be to kind of really listen to yourself when things like that happen. Um, I was at a point in time where I had the luxury to kind of take a step back and, and pivot, so to speak. And so if you are, if you have that type of luxury, um, I, I think that's really important. And I didn't want to have a like very, very profound moment like that, like I was having at the end of my last season in football and just kind of like continue going on the path. I just really felt like I can do a lot of things with the same skill set I have that I've learned within football and, and translate that outside of football. And I, I don't want to live this life anymore. 
Um, so, uh, you know, it was a lot of things kind of pulling at me at once, but I, I think the biggest thing was just listening to like what my mind and my body was telling me because I had never, I had never experienced that before. And I kind of had a feeling that it was probably something a little more profound than just being a little upset or frustrated. Right. When I first came into military, my first platoon sergeant told us all, you'll know when it's time to get out of military. You'll, you'll feel it. You'll know when it's time to go. And when a year out from my retirement, I knew it was time. I said, is it? It's time. I'm done. I've had, I'm in a, a young man's game. It's time to come out and uh, it's time to go find an adult job, I guess. And uh, I put my retirement paperwork in and I, and I got out. So I, I understand what you're saying about the, not having that whole feeling to stay there no more and knowing when it's time to switch, switch or pivot, like you said, and, uh, and move to something new into a new transition in life. And that's, it's great that you were able to recognize it and before you became a totally miserable person. Yeah. And I think that's like one of the tough things too, right? Like, you know, had I been, I, you know, I tell people a lot of times like, oh, had I been at Iowa State in Ames, Iowa, maybe it's a little different, right? Maybe, uh, you know, because even when I was at UCLA, I worked with two of the best quarterbacks in college in the last 20 years of college football. Um, and like, I was like, they had a ton of success when I was there. And so it's just kind of like, uh, had I not been in LA or specifically Santa Monica and like looking at quote unquote life, uh, all around me that I wasn't getting to take, take in, I, I might've had a different feeling. Um, but, but as you mentioned, I think that any time in life, you have something profound like that. And, and you kind of adequately described it right there. Like when you, like, when you know, you know, and I'm sure throughout your entire military career, it was just kind of like what you did. But the moment you started thinking about something else, you were like, okay, like haven't ever thought about this before. And, uh, you know, let me kind of listen to this uh, little pull that I'm getting within my, within my. And it was definitely advice I so. kept I kept in my pocket for 20 years. So it was good. <laughs> I kept my toolbox like you took notes all the time. I kept it in my pocket for 20 years, his his advice. And I had it always I said, he told me I'll know what it feels like when I want to leave. And I took it and left. So that, that's great. And now you've written a book and you have a podcast. So tell, tell us a little bit about finding intangibles. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity to share. Uh, the The book is Finding Intangibles, and the 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 idea really started early in my coaching career. I I saw that a lot of coaches focused almost primarily in the recruiting process, especially during the talent evaluation. And like, don't get me wrong, talent is a big piece of like determining who can really succeed in college football. But I always felt like there were other factors at play. Um, you know, we talked about it at the very, very front end of our conversation, the work ethic, the, the type of passion and importance that what you do has in your life, uh, being a great teammate. I think all of these are very, very important. And I think that teams go wrong when they don't prioritize character and they focus solely on talent. So I started to see this throughout my career is that the really great performers uh, and, and the really, really good teams, they're not good uh, because they have the most talent. They're, they're good. They are great because they have the most character. Um, and from Tom Brady to like, 
you know, any championship team, you name me, like we could sit here and talk about how they weren't the most talented team, but yet they had this ability to overcome these random events and setbacks that happen during the course of any season. And, um, and, and that's really where it came from was seeing that not everybody does this. Not everybody looks at the talent, uh, excuse me. They don't look at the character or, or prioritize it very highly, and that's what all of the best teams and best players um, were doing. That, that's what they had. And so that's what this book is about, is really about, you know, what are uh, the character traits that really drive high performance, um, you know, particularly in football. But I use a lot of examples from business and, you know, uh, other sports. Um, and, and you see it across, uh, you know, again, across different boundaries. And so uh, really just something that I've always been passionate about my whole career. Career. Uh, I wrote my master's thesis on talent acquisition in college athletics. And so oh. this is kind of building upon that <laughs> master's uh, thesis. And, um, you know, again, just kind of like wanting to know more about what are the traits that drive uh, peak performance in teams and performers? And then how do you find them? Uh, and so this book is really about, you know, how do you build a high performing team and, and get the culture ultimately that you want and what I see a lot of times, especially in corporate America, like the, the people I work with, uh, you know, it, they don't always tie their vision for the culture that they want to the talent acquisition process. And that's vital. You can't say, you know, for football, for football teams, you can't say like, oh, we really want like a smart, tough football team but then not specifically go out and find tough, smart football players. I think in my career, I saw a lot where coaches would like point at the wall and say, guys, we're a tough team and tough teams are not told that they're tough and become tough. Tough teams are built with tough players. So, you know, regardless of whether you're looking for a certain mindset, a certain intelligence, a certain passion, um, great teammates, you just have to understand what it is you're looking for and then make sure you're finding that in the people that you're building your team with. That's, that's great advice right there. Yeah. So that is my book. And I apologize. I, I obviously am super passionate about this. Okay. I can really, really get fired up and get going. <laughs> Um, and you also mentioned my podcast, and I yes. view my podcast very much in the same realm. Um, the podcast is called The Highest Level, and it's really about what does leadership excellence look like at the highest levels of sport, and what does it take to build a championship team and a championship culture? And so I interview athletes, sports leaders, coaches, team and team executives on that um, podcast, uh, really just to kind of hear their stories, hear their experiences, and, and learn from them about leadership excellence and championship cultures. Outstanding. And you brought up a character, vice athleticism, and you also brought up Cole Beasley earlier. He's a person that was said, oh, he's undersized. He's never going to make it. He's, they'll never do it. And then he wreaked havoc on my team for forever when he was on the Cowboys. I hated him. I hated his name. I, I seen him get on the field. He's going to catch like seven balls right now. And he would. He would find a way. He'd get open across the middle as a little dude running across the middle. He had that work ethic, work ethic to do it. And he, he's obviously still going because he was that good in his mind. His mind told him he can do it. He did it. And he pushed himself. And I think that's a perfect uh, example of what your, your book is showing right there. Yeah. And I think a lot of people misinterpret or don't understand what it takes to be successful. 
And you, you mentioned Cole Beasley and it's like a lot of people look at the NFL and you think, well, you have to be six feet tall. You have to run a four, four You have to have this, this, and this, and it's all talent based and it's all measurables. But if you talk to anybody, what does it take to be successful? Well, the reason why Cooper cup wasn't a first round draft pick and there's a, a myriad of reasons, but he ran a four, six 40. Well, I talk in my book about ignoring the unimportance and the unimportance are, you know, Cole Beasley being five, eight or Cooper cup being, uh, you know, four, six, six, 40 time. It's like a, a 40 time doesn't actually translate to the field. Like what really matters is like, can you get open? Can you separate from your defender? Two things that Cooper cup and Cole Beasley are probably the best in the NFL at, but people look at them and discount them for all these other reasons, but they don't actually take into account the things that actually lead to success. So yes, you have to have like those certain physical traits and a lot of teams don't quite understand that they get enamored with the combine and the certain measurables. And uh, as you were kind of alluding to, like that's not what drives these guys to, to be the very best at what they do, despite their physical limitations it's all of these other things that really make them great. Exactly. And uh, where can they, where can our audience pick up your book? Yeah. They, so my book is available on Amazon and okay. that is the best place to find my book and, and get it. And uh, you know, if there was an interest in bulk orders, you could email me directly and, and I could set that up for you. But uh, Amazon is typically the best place to find my book. Awesome. So Finding Intangibles by Evan Burke on Amazon. So make sure you search that and uh, pick it up for them. And uh, how can someone get uh, get you to come speak at their event or speak to your, your corporation to pump them up and get their leadership going? Yeah, certainly. And I talk on all things peak performance, leadership, uh, uh, team building and, and winning cultures. And uh, you can find me on my website and information about my speaking. And that website is Coach Evan Burke. Burke is spelled B-U-R-K, CoachEvanBurke.com. And you can find me on social media, at CoachEvanBurke. And uh, I'm at CoachEvanBurke on every social media channel. So um, those are the two best places to to reach out to me. Um, And and there's contact information on my website as well. Awesome. Uh, Evan, thanks for taking some of your time this evening to hang out with us and and teach the Misfit Nation uh, tips and tricks on how to be successful at the highest level. Yeah, this was great, Rich. Thank you again so much for having me and let me come on and share with your audience. Awesome, no problem. They say love is more precious than gold
know how we do this. Thanks for taking some of your time to spend with us on Fit Nation. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and share the link as much as possible. If you want to, please become a supporter to help us carry this thing on. We appreciate you. If you know someone that brings that energy, has a great story, is an up-and-comer in the industry of music, in the arts, have them reach out to us on TheMisfitNation.com. We will get back to them within one day and get them on here so they can share their story with the world. As always, till next time, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling. Because we are Fit Nation. Crank that jukebox up and hack it. Bartender, pull another round. Here's to our best bad decisions, situational conditions, old memories we all need to drown. So fill your cup, raise it up, jump in and join the club and float this whiskey river reservoir. We're gonna spend the weekend in the deep end of the dive bar. Left or lost and lonely One who's ever swam against the tide Thinking this is oasis It's the safest of places That a broken heart can find a hide So here's a toast, coast to coast With a big old adios Two wishes wasted on them falling stars Gonna spend the weekend In the deep end of a dive bar it's just chapter after chapter Happy never after But that's just the way the story goes For some bar still believers Wear our heart out on our sleeves Just go and wear the neon glows Chapter, happy never after, but that's just the way the story goes. Yeah, we're just never quite belongers, hanger oners, way too longers, just buzzing where the neon glows. We've all got them, let them sink down to the bottom. Doesn't matter who or where you are, we're gonna spend the weekend in the deep end. The water's fine, y'all, so just come on. Hope you enjoyed that.